just have a, a few uh, announcements to share this morning. Uh, on Sunday, October 31st, we're going to have a special kids' day here at church. Uh, so during the, uh, in, including the worship service, uh, we're inviting your kids to come dressed up uh, as uh, a character that they would like to identify with in some way. Uh, we plan to have uh, refreshments and candy and uh, hamburger hot dog barbecue uh, after the service. And uh, so it'll be a fun time for the kids uh, as an alternative to what other, other people may be doing that evening and, and uh, that afternoon. So uh, we have that plan. Obviously, we want the costumes to be things that you're comfortable with within the framework of being in the sanctuary and that church. So keep that in mind. Uh, and then, uh, like I said, we'll have a, a, a barbecue lunch and, and, and some games and opportunities for the kids to have some fun. Um, somebody asked, asked last week after I made that announcement if the adults could come dressed up too. <laughs> Suit yourself. Uh, in the uh, evening study, uh, we'll be starting up in a couple of weeks. We're going to be doing the Gospel of John, and uh, I'll give, we'll give you a firm date next week as the, the day will start, and uh, we just uh, have that coming up. And then uh, just uh, a couple of prayer needs. Uh, Grant, welcome back.
the infusion uh, to, to fight the COVID and just the fact that it was a mild case. Thank you. And Father, for uh, the guilt, uh, be with Brad and uh, just a full recovery. Give him wisdom, Lord, as to uh, when to take a step back and, and, and take it easy. And uh, we just confidently uh, leave these things in your hand and thank you for your healing touch. And Father, as we open your word uh, this morning, we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to be starting a two-part message coming from the book of Romans, and uh, I wanted to read something that was, uh, that uh, Chuck Swindoll wrote, uh, just as an introduction. It says, the structure of Romans provides a hint into the importance of the book of our every, uh, the book in our everyday life. Beginning with 11 chapters of doctrine, the book then transcends, uh, transitions into five chapters of practical application. This union between doctrine and life illustrates to Christians the absolute importance of both what we believe and how we live out those beliefs. Does your day-to-day -day life mirror the beliefs you hold, or do you find yourself in a constant battle with uh, right, wrong, and, 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 and how you're feeling about what's going on in your life with sin? Uh, take heed of the doctrine you find within the pages of Romans, but don't forget to put it into practice. And so what I was drawing from that is the fact that we have Romans as we're going through it. Basically, Romans is... When I say it's divided into two parts, I'm going to say two main parts. Uh, as you go through the book of Romans, you're going to find that there's multiple subtitles uh, all the way through it. But in the two main sections, uh, the, what I read from Chuck Smithall mentioned it. He said chapters 1 through 11 is the presentation of, and he said the word doctrine, it's actually the presentation of the gospel as doctrine. In other words, it's what you would live by. Okay, and so it's 11 chapters devoted to, to bringing us the gospel message. And then the second part, chapters 12 through 16, uh, is uh, if you're saved, if you, if you are in a relationship with Christ, how does the gospel affect your daily life? And so the, those chapters are devoted to getting us busy and, and, and thinking about how we serve the Lord in our lives. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to only take two messages, one on chapters 1 through 11, and then the second message next week will be chapters 12 through 16. So what we're going to look at is the presentation of the gospel. And so if you would, open your Bibles, if you have them today, with uh, to Romans chapter 1. I tell you ahead of time, this is either going to be a very short message, or who knows. <laughs> when, when, I, when I only have a couple of pages of notes, I, I, I'm never sure how it's going to go. <laughs> uh, because I'm not used to, to, to preaching 11 chapters at one time. 
I'm used to preaching two verses at one time, and even then sometimes it takes two sermons. So, uh, as we're going through this, the reason why we're doing it this way is because we're reading through the Bible through the year, and then we're trying to keep up with that as we are going through the sermons as well. So, uh, Romans chapter 1, the theme, if you will, is found in verses 16 and 17. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And when he says to the Jew first and then also to the Greek, what he's saying is basically the whole world. Uh, the Jewish population uh, looked at themselves as the children of God, and the rest of the world are Greeks uh, or Gentiles. And so, uh, he said, to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. Uh, most of us trace our heritage uh, into the Western civilization through uh, Greek and, and Gentile. There's a few people in here that might have Jewish heritage. Uh, but the idea was, what Paul was saying, is that the gospel is for everybody. It isn't just for Jewish people. It's not just for, for you know, specific groups of people. It's for everybody. And so he goes here, he said, and, and he starts it off, I think, just with a powerful statement. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And, and, and so he said, it's for the Jews, it's for the Greeks. And look at verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And I was curious as to if, if just to give you a, a, if you will, a biblical definition for the, the word righteous. In a broad sense, it's the state of him who is is as he ought to be. In other words, the way you should be, the way you ought to be, the condition acceptable to God. The doctrine concerning the way in which man may attain a state approved by God. Or integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. In a narrow sense, it's justice or the virtue which gives each of us due. Righteousness is extremely important because what it's saying is, is if you look at righteousness, it, it, it deals with the word holiness. From a biblical perspective. Paul mentions it 30 times in the book of Romans. And so the idea is that we, we are called through Christ, our relationship to Christ, to be righteous people. But we have a dilemma. Because it means to be holy. Totally separate holy even as God is holy. In fact, there's a scripture in Leviticus that calls us to be holy as God is holy. And when we look at ourselves and we see, you know, every one of us knows our heart, we know when we've been angry, and we know when we've been uh, people that, that were not happy with the way we've acted or treated people or, or done something, and we realize that we've fallen short of God's holiness. And so we look at this and we say, man, this is, this is a, a dilemma for us. Well, coming back to this idea of salvation for everyone, 
I'm getting ahead of myself, but in chapter 10 of, of Romans, we have this picture here. Uh, and, it, and it basically says that, that uh, if we confess, well, it's Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. That idea of justified is to be made righteous. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. In other words, we won't be condemned for our sins. So I'm going to try to fill in the gaps between 1 and 10 in the, those chapters this morning. Uh, again, focusing on the, the, the Paul's presentation of the gospel here. So, everyone who believes, Paul says, everyone who believes, the Jew and the Greek, to be saved. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. <coughs> and so I decided to, to go through this in a, in a kind of a simple way. Why do I need to be saved? Sin. Let's just put it where it is. It's a word that we don't like to use because nobody likes to think, think of themselves as one who is a sinner, but that's what Scripture says. In fact, Sin is a very simple word. It literally means, and some of you have heard this uh, picture, uh, if you will, before, missing the mark. It's like there's a target, it's a bullseye on it. You sit back and you pull the, your arrow back, you let go, and you just miss the bullseye. The guy recording the, the mark for your, your shooting would be call out the word sin. You miss the mark. And it doesn't matter whether you miss by a hair's width or if you miss the target like I might and, and, and probably miss the side of the barn as well. Um, it, it's one of those things that, that any miss is missing the mark and is sin. So keep that in your mind. There's, that we're missing the mark. Now, in order to be in God's presence, what did I say? We must be holy if God is holy. So what happened? Well, this is what Paul starts to define for us. In the book of Romans, he tells us first off in chapters 1, verse 18, through chapter 2, verse 16, that the Gentiles are sinners. They've missed the mark. You can read that for yourself. It's self-explanatory. In chapters 2, verses 17 through chapter 3, verse 8, lets the Jews know that they're in the same boat. They've missed the mark. Coming back to, to, to what Paul says in this opening theme, if you will, uh, Jews and Greeks need to be saved. In fact, in chapter 3, 
verse 23 is a scripture that uh, our children's kids, you know, the children and, and the kids are always one of the verses that they memorize with, uh, through the years in Sunday school is uh, chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory, or we could say the holiness of God. Everybody sins. No one hits the mark every time. In fact, the odds are we rarely hit the mark. Because we have ego that gets in the way, anger that gets in the way, self that gets in the way, pride that gets in the way. And, and so even if I hit the mark, I would turn around and say, wow. And I'd already pull the arrow off to the side because I've got pride. So the idea of, of this picture is, is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Go backwards in, in the book of, of uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 9, it says, you know, where he says that basically, you know, no one is righteous. He says, uh, are the Jews any better off? No, not all. Not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. There is none righteous, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. The result goes to a very graphic picture here, as he's quoting Psalms. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And when it talks about shedding blood, it's not talking about necessarily just, you know, like committing murder and literally doing it. It comes back to the way Jesus looked at it. And that is even an angry word towards someone. In their paths uh, are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. And the peace that they're talking about here is to be at peace with God. They haven't known this. There is no fear of God because uh, before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The reason why I wanted to read all of that was so that you get the understanding. We, like we've all sinned, we all have sinned. So what's, what's the next thing? What do I have to do? Well, some people say, be good. Do good things. Look at the Bible and say, oh, this is what, what a good thing is, is that is to help someone who is poor and need of food, I'll, I'll give them food. And, and I'm going to earn points with God. And people will do everything they can to do what's right and, and, and minimize what's wrong in their life. But the problem is that there's still going to be some wrong in their life. There's still going to be some sin in their life. They still can't be categorized as without sin, or justified, or righteous, or holy. And as a result, they are still separated from God, and will be eternally. All have sinned 
falls short of the glory of God. There is a universal need for salvation. This is where the gospel starts to come into focus. I'm just going to pick on a couple of verses uh, that, that lead us in the right direction here. Chapter 5 of Romans, verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, or the judgment of God. What he's saying is that Christ went to the cross, died in our place, and if we confess, go back to chapter 10, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and that he and, and we shall be saved, that idea of being saved is that we are accepting what Christ did on the cross. We're believing that Christ died for sin. He is the Son of God taking upon sin. He is a perfect man, totally holy, totally righteous. Doesn't need to be justified. without sin in any way. And he dies in our place. He takes our judgment. He takes our punishment. We confess, we believe, we are saved. We are delivered from the judgment that God will put on us for our sins. Jesus, we sang in that song we talk about. Basically, we say the prayer, Jesus paid it all. Chapter 6. Again, a very familiar verse. The wages of sin is death. And again, death, spiritual separation from God is what is actually meant there. The whole picture of death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, Paul again restates it. Wages of sin, in other words, any sin, what's the wages? Separation from God. No hope of being with God in, in eternity. Paul says, unless you accept the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the, the, the free gift of God. And when it says free, it means there isn't anything I can do to earn it. There's no gift I can bring. It doesn't matter how wealthy I am, if I were absolutely the wealthiest man in the world, and I put all of my wealth on the, on the, the table before God and said, it's yours, to, you know, it's, it's for your kingdom's work here on earth. I would walk away and I would still be what? Why? Because I need Christ to pray. I've seen people think they could, you know, buy their sins, the sins of the forgiveness, by giving to church. I, I, over the years, I've had people who are not church people give donations to the church uh, because. They want to feel better. I'm very 
very quick to extend to them the truth and saying, unless you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, we, the gift is awesome, but it's not doing anything for you. The wages of sin is death, So the picture that that creates is a beautiful picture that Paul starts to paint for us with his words in chapter 8. He starts off chapter 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. To walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's no condemnation if we're in Christ Jesus. Again, chapter 10. Your mouth is in your heart. Jesus is the Christ. So it's in death. Be saved. <coughs> Excuse me. The same chapter, chapter 8, verse 11, it says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Wages of sin is death, free gift is life, eternal life is supposed to come from God because we believe in Jesus Christ, the Spirit who is in us, who dwells in us. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We confess with our mouth, believe in our heart, Jesus is the Christ. He's, he's uh, the, paid the price for our sins. And he says, now we are no longer condemned. There's no condemnation in us. Instead, we are looked at as sons of God. We are family to God. It's a powerful, powerful picture for Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. We've been adopted as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. For most of us, we would read that and, and it wouldn't mean a lot unless you've heard the sermon, and most of you probably have. But that is a familiar term, term uh, of language, Abba. Uh, literally a, a term of endearment. You're my father. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm your child. Verse 16 of the The Spirit Himself bears witness. And when it says the Spirit is referring to the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Sons of God, children of God, 
I'm a father. You are my father. And the children then heirs. It doesn't stop with just being children. It doesn't stop with just being in the family. It says we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ or joint heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, in, in, in the case that we, we identify ourselves with him and, and we are saved and we're in a relationship with him, we are joint heirs with Jesus. What are we heirs to? Go through the book of Revelation. It's awesome. Most people look at Revelation and see all the the, con, the, the end time stuff. I get excited because it's the, the after end time stuff. We inherit the kingdom of God. We are the children of God. Jesus has opened up and shared his inheritance. He's Son of God, and because he went through the Christ, it all became his, and now he turns around and says, if you are saved, if you confess, if you believe, it's yours too. I'll share it with you. Join me. I'll hold nothing back. Chapter 8 again. Verse 31. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be with us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall uh, bring any charge against God's elect or God's children? It's God who justifies. Since God has done this, who can, who can say no to it? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who, who, who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? What a powerful picture. Jesus interceded on our behalf. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, we have peace with God. Remember, they, I said earlier that the Gentiles and the Jews, they didn't have peace. What was it? It's to be at peace with God, meaning my sins are covered. I am at peace with God. God is pleased with me through Jesus Christ and through my confession of faith. He receives me as his job. This is what the gospel is. People try to put the gospel in a nutshell. It, it, it's way bigger than a nutshell. <laughs> you can't put it in a nutshell. You can say, well, the gospel message is Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. That's that picture. What's that mean? That's what Paul is getting into here. 
again in chapter 10. I just want to read those verses one more time. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the, the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think that leads us right into communion. The reason we celebrate communion every Sunday is to remind us what Christ cup. The juice represents the blood of Christ shed on the cross. The, the wafer or the bread represents the body of Christ. And that goes clear back to what Philippians chapter 2 starting with the fifth verse says, that Jesus Christ emptied himself. In other words, all of his, his reign of power and authority, if you will, was like a, a, a coat that he took off and set down at the feet of the Father. He became a man. What kind of a man? A man who is a servant to him, even to the point of death on the cross. And so, we share communion this morning. Uh, we have, we're still using the package because of the COVID. We don't want to pass the tray uh, around. If you didn't pick up a packet, feel free to go out and pick one up off the table while we're singing our song.
the scripture in the gospel of John in chapter 1 uh, words spoken by John the Baptist and John speaks he says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world Jesus shared what we traditionally call the Last Supper with his disciples. This was the night that he was betrayed. He was crucified the next day. And so when the hour came, it says in the Gospel of Luke, when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this cup, divide it among yourselves. And I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup. And after they had eaten, he said, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Behold, this I give you. Father, we come this morning to thank you for these emblems that, that are there to remind us of what you have done. And also, the reality that you said that you're not going to share the cup of the bread again until your kingdom comes, which tells us that that's something ahead of us yet. When we are all together at one time again, the whole body of Christ, all that who confess and believe that you are the Son of God, that are saved, we will share this cup of bread again together with you. We look forward to that day. And we ask, Lord, that you would go with us today, be with us, cause us to desire to be close to you in all the things that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Would you stand as we close? And uh, Lord bless us for being here this morning. Who can wash away my sin? No. 